Oh, come on. You can do better than that. If he's your Savior, give him your highest praise. Yeah, come on. He's listening. Praise the name of the Lord. It is good to be in the house of the Lord with you tonight. I'm going to get right in my, to my word. I tell you, every song they sung, they sung about battles and about being victorious. Now, how many know that you can fight a battle and even be victorious, but you can suffer from the battle? That it can have lingering effects upon your life. We're going to talk about that tonight. So I want to take you to Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27, and read the word of the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. He's saying because of the anointing, his burden is going to be lifted off his shoulders and his yoke, that thing that is choking the life out of him is going to be destroyed. And he declares there's coming a day that it's going to happen, that it shall come to pass. Anybody in here would like to have their burdens lifted off their shoulders tonight? Have the yoke removed and destroyed off your life? Well, I've come to declare to you it's the anointing that breaks the yoke that does lift your burdens. Jesus is the anointed one. He's the burden bearer, the yoke breaker. Somebody shout Jesus. Jesus. Say it again. I'll say it again. Oh, why don't you go ahead and stand your feet, put your hands together, and welcome his spirit in this place because this day has come for your burdens to be lifted. Come on, don't make me have to preach my sermon I preached last week about having an expectation. The burden lifter is here. Somebody shout hallelujah. All right, praise the name of the Lord. I think we can have church now. Here's the 10th chapter of Isaiah. And the Assyrians are a superpower that has been threatening the people of Israel, which eventually led to the Assyrian kings conquering their nation and then oppressing the people just as they had threatened they would by placing them in bondage. In this section of Isaiah chapter 10, Isaiah is speaking to a remnant of people who will be rescued through this time of oppression because they turned their back to God. Isaiah is speaking to the Israelites at a time when they were definitely under oppression of the Assyrians, their enemy. Anybody in here ever been under the oppression of your enemy? What's interesting, though, is he tells them they are in the place because of their sinful ways of idolatry and disobedience, and that God had allowed and chose to use their enemies to drive them back to him. But he tells them that there is a remnant, that there is a season, there is a day that is coming that God was going to rescue them, that God's going to take that burden off and destroy the yoke. Now, when did this prophetic voice come on the scene? After the enemy had attacked and oppressed them. Now, why did it come? Because God's people were under deep oppression, facing great opposition, and some had, be had begun to repent and turn back to God when many hadn't. I'm telling you, God's always got a voice crying out in the wilderness, never a time that God abandons his people permanently, but he does correct his people. He will allow adversity to come upon his people, not to destroy his people, but to drive his people back to him. 
When a nation turns from his hand, then his protection will be lifted. Sin separates us from God. Sin is a reproach to any nation, but the very moment they return back to him, he puts his hand back on them. I'm citing this nation and its downfall and that generation as an example to this nation and to this generation as to say, although we strayed from the hand of God in so many ways, there will always be a remnant that will serve God. Come on. A remnant that God will lift up their burdens and remove the yoke from around their necks and destroy it with the anointing of the anointed one, Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm being relevant and I'm prophetically speaking of the last day remnant church. We may feel abandoned, confused, dazed, but there's a new season coming, church. A remnant that will rise up and our enemies will be scattered. Now many have strayed, but I say to the remnant, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Help is on the way. Oh, come on. I just wonder, do, do you see what I see? Or do you see what I see? I see lightning, I see thunder. Something stirring six feet under. Dead things coming back to life again. We're about to see a resurrection. Come on, wake up, sleepers. Something's moving. Something's changing. Hallelujah. Give God praise. Come on. Well, how do you break oppression and depression and worry and stress off of your life for good? When even though you are a child of God, you can still be yoked, church. You can read a good book, but when you're done reading, it's still there. Or you can go for a walk, but when you sit back down, it's still there. You can move to another town, but when you get settled in, it's still there. You can take a boatload of antidepressants. When you quit taking them, it's still there. Why? Because it's a spiritual thing. It's the spirit of oppression and depression that's got a hold of you, that has yoked you, and is choking the life out of you. The enemy won't let go. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy you. And the only way you can truly be free from it is it has to be broken by the anointing of God. A time came when they got free from the Syrians, but they couldn't get rid of the oppression that it caused upon their lives. They'd come out of Egypt, as to say, but Egypt hadn't come out of them. And God said, I will lift, I will break, I will destroy it by the anointing. That there's a day coming for the remnant. So in verse 27, when Isaiah talks about the burdens and the yoke, he's referencing the Syrian oppression. What he prophesies is an encouragement to them. Tell them that their Syrian dominance will only be for a season. Say season. It doesn't have to last, church. Why? Because God has promised he'll rescue them. He'll lift their burdens, remove the yokes from their necks, and destroy them. There's a promise for the ages of time that's never been negated for God's people. He did it for them then. He'll do it for his people now. You've got to believe it and you've got to expect it. So what is the meaning of this verse? Ultimately, we know that it has to do with the rescue of God's people from the hands of the Assyrians. That much is clear. But what specifically does the anointing breaks the yoke mean? One popular understanding of this verse is to say that the yoke is any particular bondage that a believer is experiencing, and the anointing is the power of the Holy Spirit that breaks it. 
And that is telling us that the anointing of God is more powerful than any bondage you might be under. I don't care what it is. The anointing can break it and destroy it. That ought to encourage somebody tonight. You ought to be able to say goodbye oppression, goodbye depression, goodbye possession, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. Isaiah 10 27 defines anointing as the burden removing, yoke destroying power of God. The anointing is what delivers God's people and sets the captives free. In Acts 10 38, it describes the impact of the anointing on the life and the ministry of Jesus. It tells how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Hallelujah. And with power, he went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with them. This powerful verse reminds us that Jesus is the anointed one, and it's the anointing of God that is powerful enough to remove all oppression and all manner of sickness and disease. See, in this passage, Isaiah speaks to the children of Israel that the only reason the Assyrians were able to oppress them was because God allowed it. It's good to know nothing happens to me by circumstance alone. Because there was a time in my life I thought it was all about luck and fate before I knew Christ. Until I came to the knowledge that it is God who has ordained my life, I've come to find out a lot of my life that I had lived wasn't God's plan at all. It was Randy's plan. I didn't know he even had one for me. I was making up life as I went. But now that Christ is my Lord and my Savior, I know that my life will become God's will for my life if I follow him. I came to find out that God has a plan for my life. He had one before I was even born. If you don't know it yet, let me be the one to tell you he has a plan for your life as well. Now, I, I appreciate the correction of the Lord for keeping me straight. No one does it with a greater love. Although at times it's not pleasant, I know it's for my good. I appreciate conviction. I'm glad that it's there. I've seen the results of those that have gotten beyond conviction. They're callous. Nothing bothers them anymore. They've seared their conscience with a hot iron. The fact that God would chastise you about your behavior, your attitude, or lifestyle is a sign that he loves you, that he has a plan for you. The Bible says... If I endure chastisement, it proves my sonship. Not by how I shout or by how I preach or how eloquent I can pray, but when I endure his chastisement, it is a sign I'm his son. There has been times God has dealt me some blows, but I had to stay faithful to him because I know his hands are eternal life. I may have gone through some tough places. I may have had some dark days. I may be impressed by my enemies. Times I didn't know what tomorrow holds, but I knew who held tomorrow. When I surrendered my life to Christ, I received sonship, whereby I can call him Abba, Father. It's then when I received the spirit of adoption that I became joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I belong to him. He belongs to me. I am his son. He's my heavenly father. That when I'm right, I'm his righteous son. And when I'm wrong, I'm still his son. In our text, he tells the people, the Assyrians have attacked you because there are areas in your life that God's not pleased with. And God will often at times use adversity to get your attention, to turn us back to him, to correct us. Because sometimes, you know, we're lacking and we're slacking, we're not focused, especially in the good times. Sometimes we can take our lives for granted. So it's when adversity shows up, it grabs our attention. It makes us rethink and refocus. 
This has happened to Israel. Through the oppression of the Assyrians, it drove the children of Israel to prayer. It caused them to talk to God, to take time to talk to God. And we as a nation are experiencing disasters like never before, and the disasters are driving people to pray like never before. Folks, God wants to talk to us. He loves us enough. He has to drive us through adversity to get our attention. He'll do it because nothing will make us pray like trouble. God would allow this? Absolutely. Why? Because he loves us, and he wants us to make it to heaven and spend eternity with him, and he knows what it takes to get us there. How many of you got kids? Do you ever discipline them when they're wrong? If you don't, you should. <laughs> Do you ever try to prevent them from doing wrong? Why? I hope it's because you love them, that it's to bring correction and protection and direction to lives. People who normally don't pray will pray when trouble comes. People who normally don't go to church will go to church when trouble comes. People who have never prayed before will always pray in a crisis, in a life and death situation. Let them be in an airplane going down. Let them be on a boat sinking. Let them be trapped in a burning building. You'll be surprised how people pray when their child is hurt or their car is sliding down the hill on ice or mom's in ICU. Certain circumstances will drive you to pray to find the strength to pray and find the time to pray. Praying is not a hard thing. When trouble comes, it makes its way to the top of our priorities. Things can rattle and shake your life to where it brings you to prayer. Because what God wants to do is bring you to where he has your full, undivided attention. The problem is once he gets our attention and we've lined up with his purpose, the enemy and the adversities of life tend to have a tendency to linger on in your life, like the Assyrians did in this passage. Israel endured the persecution. Many turned back to God, but the Assyrians weren't done. What I'm saying, you can get off track, and God allows adversity to draw you back, and you do, but the adversity seems like it doesn't leave. And all of a sudden, you're doing all you know to do to serve God. You've repented. You're faithful again, but not much has changed with your circumstances. Ever done that? Get off track and you repent, you leave here, only to find out the circumstances haven't changed. But the important thing is, though, you've changed. But it's like you got this yoke around your neck through these circumstances you have experienced. How many know you can come out of trouble, but sometimes you can still feel the effects of the trouble? Now, the term yoke of bondage is difficult for us to understand. Now, in our contemporary society we now live in, somehow we feel we progress from such an overpowering struggles. After all, this is the 21st century, right? We don't have oxen in our backyard anymore. So, therefore, this terminology doesn't fit and isn't understood anymore to be yoked. Let me serve you a little history. In the past, oxen were possessed by many, but now they're replaced by tractors. But way back in time, for those who owned one, they were a large animal. Bill, do you remember this? The only way you could troll them was put a yoke around their necks, generally two oxen, up under one yoke. The farmer would bind them together, and whenever you got ready to move the oxen, you were able to do it because of the yoke around their necks. So the oxen became known as a beast of burden because of the yoke around their neck. All of a sudden, he's not free anymore due to the fact he's been yoked. 
In essence, it's the same thing as I'm talking about being in prison or being bound or oppressed or depressed, not having the freedom to go wherever you want to or wherever you want to because you're controlled by the yoke. God said, I may have used the Syrians to get your attention, Israel, but I will not allow the Assyrians, your enemies, to continue to oppress you once you've turned your back, back on to me. I will lift a burden and destroy the yoke off of you. He was saying, I might allow the enemy to bring trouble to come get your attention, to drive you back to me, but I won't allow him to take you out and keep you bound. Because what the enemy meant for bad, I'll turn it into your good. Once you turn to me and you repent, that's it. I'm on your side and no weapon formed against you shall prosper. God says, I might allow something to get your attention so you'll turn back to me, but once you do, I'll break it off of you. I won't let it destroy you. My purpose was for it to change you, to correct you, to protect you, to better you. But when it served its purpose, it's done. I'll destroy it. And God is saying the yoke was to turn, the, the yoke was to turn your back to me again. And when I've got control of your life again, I'll break the yoke because it's the anointing that breaks the yoke of the bondage. And this is what God wants me to plant in your hearts. When we begin to talk about this anointing, let me help define what that is. See, a lot of people talk about it in their circles. This term anointed becomes an ambiguous religious term that people use frequently, but don't often understand it. So in the absence of their understanding, they imply that the anointing is only manifested by outward expression. That is, if you quake and you shiver and you jerk, you must be anointed. That's how it's recognized in their eyes and their mind. And what that does is signal to many, if you're not emotionally demonstrative, you're not anointed. You're not anointed because when Brother Snoopy Dupe is anointed, he breaks out in a chicken strut. It's evident he's anointed. I see an outward expression. Nothing else would make you act like that. It's got to be the anointing. And it very well is a lot of times true. It's how they're responding to the anointing. And that's wonderful, and that's great to see. There's nothing wrong with that. But by having only one perspective of this expression of anointing, we put pressure on people many times for them to act out in ways that aren't becoming of them and really don't fit them. And because they want to be accepted as a part of a certain clique or group, they feel pressured to act like what you describe as anointed. Now listen closely. Don't misunderstand me. But learn something right here. I want you to understand there are many people who manifest the anointing of God with outward expressions. And that's okay. Which is a lot of times can be the result of your personality, who you are, and how you express the anointing. Your personality can play a part in how you express your anointing. But it doesn't determine how much anointing you have. Don't be fooled by that. There are also people who are very quiet and subdued, who can be just as anointed and used mightily by God who never jerk or shake. Just because you shout louder than the one beside you don't make you any more anointed. Now, I'm not talking about worship. I'm talking about the anointing. There are people who are anointed that shout loud, and that's okay. But don't put yourself in a place where you think you got more anointing than your not-so-loud neighbor. A shout is not the substance of the anointing. The shout is a response to the anointing. Because I want to tell you something. There's four personalities expressed by humans. 
you're either a sanguine, a choric, a melancholy, or a phlegmatic. You're one of the four, or for some, you're borderline of two. You take someone with a sanguine personality, and you let the anointing come upon them, chances are great that they're going to express it in an outward manifestation. They may quake. They may shake. They may shout. They may dance. They may jump. Yet the same anointing can come up on a phlegmatic, and at best, they're probably going to clap their hands. But hear this. It's what I like about the anointing. It can cause you to respond outside of your normal personality as well if you're yielded to it. I'm just trying to stress how anointed you are is not based totally upon outward expression. So what makes us anointed? When we are anointed, we are endued with power by God to function in a particular category for a particular purpose. When you're anointed, you are effective and productive. Whenever God anointed anointed somebody, he he anointed them to do something, lay hands on the sick, to bring deliverance, to cast out demons, to baptize them with the Holy Ghost, to prophesy. It wasn't anointing for entertainment's sake. He didn't just anoint you so you could say, I'm anointed, and somehow make yourself to believe you're more superior than other people. He anointed them to prophesy. He anointed them to preach. He even anointed them to be kings. He anointed them to function effectively in a capacity that otherwise they couldn't function in effectively except for the anointing. God anointed me to preach. And if he had not, uh, I assure you, I couldn't be standing here tonight doing this. In school, I couldn't even talk in front of a class. Now I just trust that when I get up here, the anointing is going to show up and help me speak. Now let's put a new perspective in place today. Let's move, move from the old time yokes and oxen to cars and gas. For perhaps a better understanding for some to redescribe to you what I'm trying to say. Anointing is to us what gas is to the car. You don't put gas in your car unless you're going somewhere. So it is the same with God. If you're not going somewhere, if you're not going to do something for God, why would he anoint you? Why would he fill you up with the anointing? Because you see, gas is an enabling influence. So it is also with the anointing. Gas is an enabling influence to where when you turn the key, you have the power to move, to function, the power to go, the power to deliver. I want to tell you something. You can own all kinds of cars. You can own a Hummer, a Rolls Royce, a Ferrari, a Jaguar, whatever you prefer. You can pay several thousands of dollars for them. You can sign them up. You can wax them till you see yourself in the, in the fender. Get in and turn the ignition But if there is no gas in them, they will not perform. They won't take you anywhere. It may look good, but what good is it just sitting in the driveway? Yet your neighbor can get in his 1976 Volkswagen, turn the key, and because there's gas in it, he can go do things that your $180,000 car can't do. Because the gas empowers your car to perform, to be effective, to produce, to take you somewhere, regardless of the make or the model. So it is the same with the anointing. Are you getting this? You can come in here wearing a $1,000 suit, ring on every finger, have a doctorate degree, dance up and down these aisles, quote scripture, like the back of your hand. And if there's no gas, no anointing, you'll be like brass tinkling in the wind of no effect, and you'll not accomplish anything. 
You may look good. You may look anointed in the eyes of some. Yet, let me tell you something. Poor old Sister Sue lives on a fixed income, living in the housing projects on the other side of town, wearing the only Sunday dress she has, can come in here, and she can march down here to the altar, find someone kneeling down, broken, hurt, and lay her hands upon them, and the power of God can come down through her and totally transform that person's life. Why? Because of the anointing that's in her. She can function other ways people can't. The anointing is anointing. It's not only determined by strictly outward expression. It's only available to those who want to do something for the kingdom of God and not simply for themselves. God's not a respecter of persons. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. Education won't bring it. Manipulation won't bring it. You can't manufacture it. All you can do is simply make yourself available. And God, who is a source, fulfill those whom he chooses. He don't anoint based upon social status. He chooses those of a broken and a contrite spirit, those who are humble, not prideful and puffed up, those who have lips that have been purged and cry, send me, Lord, send me, those with a pure heart, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled whether they're seven years old or they're 70 years old. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. A lot of people, though, who are slothful or fearful, fearful, intimidated, complacent, or insecure have never seen the anointing of God operating in their life. It doesn't mean they're insane. It doesn't mean they're evil people or bad people. But the anointing is for somebody that's going to do something for the kingdom. Watch someone who has the anointing flowing in their lives. And then just watch them step out and go sit on the sidelines for an extended period of time and watch. They become ineffective for the kingdom of God. Don't sit around and talk about how anointed you are if you're not doing something for God. If you're not doing anything, you're like a car out of gas, and you ain't going anywhere. If you put gas in your car and you never drive it, what happens to that gas? It goes stale. It loses its power, its influence. Lose the anointing, and you'll have a form of godliness, but you'll deny the power thereof. You need it in order to be effective for God. The anointing is that silent influence of the Holy Spirit that comes upon you. You know, while you're witnessing or talking to someone about Jesus, all of a sudden you feel this confidence, you feel this boldness begin to rise up in you. Scriptures start coming out of your mouth. You're saying all the right things. They begin to respond and are affected by your words. It's the anointing. You couldn't have been effective with, without it. And like I said, for some... Their response will be an outward manifestation. For others, it'll be more subtle. But the, the response doesn't differentiate the level of the anointing. They're both anointed. I've seen preachers who quake, jump, shout, sweat themselves down, who are very powerful anointed ministers. Yet I've seen men of God who sit humbly, waiting to hit the pulpit, who are a lot more reserved. But because they've been locked away in the presence of God, empowered by his spirit, that when they speak, they move mountains. The most powerful move of God I've ever experienced was in China. When Sister Yang spoke, she never raised her voice. She wore peasant's clothes in a back room of a restaurant, had no degrees, no seminary, simply spoke on Jesus' hands, his feet, and his lips. And before she even finished, the power of God hit that room. Why? Because she was anointed. I've seen aggressive preachers preach who weren't of no effect. I've seen reserved preachers who preach who have been of no effect. Because anointing was not operating in their lives. 
I know that the anointing moves me. I know it stretches me. Many times take me out of my box, cause me to be more aggressive at times. Why or how? By how I yield myself to the Holy Spirit, not quenching the spirit by being obedient. It can cause me to do things I know wise could have done without the anointing. The anointing kicks in inside of you, and all of a sudden, words begin to rise up in you. Effectiveness and progress are launched to accomplish the will of God. When God anoints you, I'm not guaranteed you will shake or quiver. You may be slain or you may not. You may scream and you may not. You may cry or you may not. You may dance or you may not. You may shout or you may not. I'm not sure how you'll express it. It doesn't matter. But there's one thing for sure about every anointed person that I've met. They're always spiritually effective. They're always accomplishing something in the kingdom of God. And today, God wants to, by his anointing spirit, break some yokes You've suffered some things. You've been through some tough battles. You've repented. You've turned back, but you're still burdened. You're still yoked by the effects of the battle. You would be shocked at the people who would be a lot further down the road if they didn't have to deal with the yoke. In fact, some of the people you hang around with, you may not know who they really are or who they really are capable of being because all you've ever known is the person when they've been yoked bound, oppressed, afflicted. You really don't know what they're capable of doing because you've never really seen them free. And all this time that you've been with him or her, they've been laboring with a yoke around their neck, holding them down, controlling them, dictating them their limits. Then there's some of you, you've had some accomplishments, but you've always had to do it under pressure. You've endured a lot to receive what you do have. By holding on with everything you got, trying to keep what little you got. Why? Because you had this big weight around your neck. You did it, but it wasn't nor has it ever been easy for you. You've been drugged every step, actually becoming someone you never were intended to be. I got to stop right there and talk about that for just a moment. This world, perhaps this room, is full of people who become someone they were never intended to be. People who are in places they were never intended to be in. Because adversity and storms and tragedies and circumstances and childhood experiences have altered your life and have yoked you and choked you. And you've accepted the yoke on your life as your burden to carry, your cross to bear. But Jesus said, come unto me, all your labor and heavy burden, and I shall give you rest. In other words, I'll take that yoke off your neck. He said, take my yoke up on you, of course, it's light. Say, if you're going to be controlled, be controlled by me. Make me Lord of your life. Because I will destroy the burdens off your life through my anointing, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The yoke is controlling you. The oppressor is only causing you to do what he says. Go where he allows you to go. The yoke limits. It hinders. But Jesus says, I come to destroy the works of the oppressor, the devil, your enemy. You know, it's bad enough not to be who you want to be to not have your dreams or to reach your destiny, but it's even more difficult when you're trying to be who you don't want to be. I'm talking to some people. You wanted to preach. You wanted to write children's books. You wanted to have children. You wanted to go to college. You wanted to be married, but it didn't happen. Well, I'm going to help somebody today. First, let me deal with the biggest lie you've been led to believe, and that is it's too late. It's not too late. You're being deceived. Here's the lies of your enemy. If you haven't done anything, he tells you you're too late to do anything. And if you're thinking about doing something, he tells you you've got plenty of time to do it. 
And I've come to tell you that once for in your life, you owe it to yourself and to look and see how much further you could be if you hadn't had that yoke, that fear, that oppression, that depression, that intimidation, that guilt, that shame controlling you. If the oppressor wasn't holding you back, and know this, be careful, careful not to blame the wrong one or the wrong thing. We always want to blame someone else. If God's called you, can't nobody stop you. It's time to sit in front of the mirror and to be honest and not let the oppressor deceive you. I speak to that spirit of fear tonight. I speak to that spirit of intimidation. God says to your oppressor, let my people go. We got so many people feeling yoked. And you got to get to the place where you say, I can't spend 10 more years like this with this thing around my neck. Matter of fact, I can't spend 10 more days like this. Somebody, I feel the presence of God right now. I want you to lift up your hands all over this place. I say spirit of oppression, be broken. Spirit of depression, be broken. In the name of Jesus, be free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give God praise. His spirit's in this place, church. You got to make up your mind. You're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Many of you are down and bound. It's nothing more than a spiritual problem that's affecting you physically. It's a spiritual infirmity. And in Luke 10, a woman was bound for 18 years. But the day came when Jesus said, woman, thou art loosed. And the anointing freed her. And you got to say today, I want to be free. You got to say, matter of fact, I don't even want to carry this baggage back out of here tonight. I've got to get this yoke off of my neck. I've got to see what I can be if I wasn't so restricted, if I wasn't so limited, if I wasn't held down by what, by what he said or she said or by what they said or by what happened to me in my childhood at my uncle's house, or what happened to me in my first marriage, or what happened to me on my job, or what happened to me in the last church. Those things have restricted me too long. They've distorted my perception. They've changed my views. They've affected my appetite. I can't eat. I can't sleep. It drives my emotions, and all I want to do is cry. It still upsets my nerves. It controls my personality. My mood swings are like a roller coaster. It makes me crave attention. It makes me hide out, seclude myself. My emotions are unmanageable. I'm told I'm illogical, that you can't reason with me. I'm out of control like a runaway train. I've hurt the very people that I love, but I'm not like that because I'm a bad person. I'm not like that because I'm not a nice person. That's why I'm so confused, frustrated. Yes, and sometimes I'm even suicidal. Because I don't know what else to do. I don't want to be like this, but I keep doing those things I hate. How come some, someone who don't want to be like this be like this? Holy Spirit, have your way. Because when there's something wrong with the ox, there's something wrong with the yoke around its neck. I've got to get this off of me. I could have been a doctor. I could have been a lawyer. I could have been a preacher. I could have been a father. I could have been a wife. I could have been a good husband. 
I say by the anointing power of God, the only thing that's stopping you is that thing around your neck. You got to get it off of your neck. You've been walking around with it. You've been doing business with it. You've been teaching with it. You've been praying with it. You've been married with it, doing the best you can with it. you got to declare, I've heard too much of the word to have this thing around my neck any longer. you got to make up your mind, declare, I don't need to attend church with social aristocrats who sit around trying to oppress one another. I came here to this church because I need a Holy Ghost Spirit-filled preacher who can help me get this thing off of my neck. I got to have someone who's anointed who can help me get this thing off my neck. I've come to tell you Jesus Christ is the anointed one that you need to help you. He can do exceedingly abundantly above anything you're able to ask or think. What is by, by the power that worketh in you? And what is that power in you? It's the anointing of the Holy Ghost. The anointing causes you to have a spiritual connection with the Holy Spirit. And there's some of you who know if I don't get this off of me, it's going to get on my son. It's going to get on my daughter. It's going to get on my grandchildren. you got to break this off of you. We live in a world where we, know, where we know if a smoking, expecting mother ingests nicotine in her body, it can get into her unborn embryo. It's been scientifically proven. The fetus will then be born with nicotine in that child's body. That child who never smoked but inherited it from its mother. We have crack babies because of the same facts. So if mama don't get free before she's pregnant, it will pass on to the baby. If mama's on crack, most likely without the baby ever doing a drug deal, the baby will be born screaming for it because mama had an issue that was never resolved to pass on to the child. So it is with generational curses. You ain't hearing me. I ain't playing church. As it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. If mama don't get loose, if daddy don't get loose, get what? The dysfunction that is on you will pass on to your children. And you'll find, end up fighting with your child for acting like you. Now you got double trouble. You're dealing with your demon and your children's demons. You have a spirit of poverty on your life. You often find that same spirit on your children. You have a spirit of depression on your life, you'll find that same spirit on your children. You have suicidal tendencies, that same spirit on your children. Toward now, in the middle of your life, when you should have some peace, those old ghosts of your past are showing up in your kids, and you got trouble on every side. And you're so tired of fighting your demons, let alone have the strength to fight theirs. Putting your child in a very serious situation. Because if you can't help yourself, how can you help them? How can you help them to overcome when you haven't? Tell them what to do and you still don't know what to do. And you can't simply tell them to do something you weren't willing to do yourself. Don't tell them to bury themselves in an altar and you've never been to one yourself. Your oppressor wants to steal their innocence, destroy their lives, control them, and even kill them. And then the next thing that happens, the enemy of the oppressor wants you to go into a state of depression. Because he knows the depression will paralyze you, control you. He wants to seclude you, make you ineffective. Your oppressor will condemn you and accuse you for your failures and your children's failures. But I came to remind you the devil is a liar. 
that Jesus has come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly, that it's the anointing that breaks the yokes of bondage. And I've come to serve notice on your presser. In the name of Jesus, be free. I want somebody to stand up who used to be bound as a testimony to someone who is bound to see what God did for you, he can do for them. Anybody in here? You've been through battles. You've had tough times. But God brought you out of them. you got to declare not only are you coming out, but I'm bringing my kids out with me. Grandma might not taking a stand. Mama might not taking a stand. But the buck stops here. I'll be the one who breaks it. I'm coming out of this thing. And so are my kids. Everyone in the family's got to get out. This yoke has got to be broken. Just because dad died early of a heart attack don't mean I got to. Just because daddy drank like a fish don't mean I got to. Just because mama had cancer don't mean I got to. Just because my brother got strung out don't mean I got to. Because I've got something that's going to destroy the yoke. Shout with me. It's the anointing. It's the anointing. Lift up your hands and receive this anointed word right here. I broke the, break the curse of cancer with the anointing. The diabetes, the spirit of poverty, the spirit of fear, doubt, intimidation, the curse of divorce, the wedlock, the drug, the alcohol addiction, the pornography. I break these yokes in the name of Jesus with the anointing of Jesus Christ. And I declare that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to preach deliverance to the captain, to heal the broken heart to those who are hurt and wounded. I say, bring yourself to this altar tonight and say, God, heal my heart. God, break this yoke off of me and my family. And say, Lord, I'm willing to wait until you send somebody my way who really loves me. And God will break that yoke off of you. And you can go home and tell that joker that hurt you, don't you call me no more. Don't you come by here no more. Because I found me a real man today. A good man. One that will never leave me nor forsake me. You probably don't know him, but his name is Jesus. He gives sight to the blind. He heals the brokenhearted. He raises the dead. He sets the captives free. He heals the sick. His name is Jesus. He's the anointed one. Somebody shout Jesus. Oh, say it again. I'll say it again. Born in a manger, not into a king's household, just a carpenter by trade, never held an office. And the religious sect, had, religious sect had trouble accepting him as the Messiah because of his social status. Known as an outcast to many, but he was the anointed one. He was the burden bearer. He was truly the son of God. And he sits at the right hand of God and makes intercession for you and me. And today he says, today is a day. You may have got off track. You've been through suffering. You've repented. And now you're a part of the remnant we are we are we have all been through so much in this body as a church and we have felt the oppression of the enemy often and many times and we even still affects uh, fulfill the effects of it today when the musicians come but now God says come let me break that yoke let me lift your burdens, church, with the anointing. Come, be free. You fought the battle, may even got through the battle, but it's those lingering effects 
They tend to hold on, to stay around. Israel had been through it, but God sent Isaiah to tell them, but there's coming a day that he's going to lift the burdens. He's going to break the yokes and destroy them off the remnant. Now, we are commanded, Scripture, laying on of hands and anointing with oil. Would you stand with me, please?